From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org holiness. This is an in-depth Bible study on holiness, and we are happy to welcome you with us for this month's Bible study. Some 50 years ago, I had become challenged and convicted about memorizing Scripture in one of my seminary classes. As a result, I chose Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as it is recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, to commit to memory. Now, it was a daunting task for me, but one which greatly influenced my own spiritual walk. There was a constant sense of excitement as the life-changing words of Jesus himself became part of my daily routine. There were the Beatitudes at the beginning, and then a stream of powerful statements, some of them uh, pithy statements, like, Love your enemies. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. When you pray, go to your room and close the door. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth. No one can serve two masters. Amazing teachings and powerful truths. And then in the middle of the sermon, Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, writing in his introduction to what I think is the definitive work on the Sermon on the Mount, over 600 pages of lessons, says this, Nothing shows me the absolute need of the new birth and of the Holy Spirit and His work within so much as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I believe he said that because It is so practical in its teaching and so countercultural to where we live. He goes on to say the trouble with much holiness teaching is that it leaves out the Sermon on the Mount and asks us to experience sanctification. If you want to have power in your life and to be blessed, he said, go straight to the Sermon on the Mount, live it, practice it, and give yourself to it, and as you do so, the promised blessings will come. I use this to introduce our topic because one of the most haunting sections in Matthew 7, which I have remembered literally hundreds of times down through the years, will introduce our theme today. After teaching his disciples about false prophets, using the picture of trees bearing good and bad fruit, and concluding with, thus by their fruit, you will recognize them, Jesus then says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. When Luke records His remembrance of the sermon, in 646, he has Jesus saying, 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? Here is our window into holiness today, the Lordship of Christ. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12 for our text today. Now, I know that chapter sounds familiar to those of you who have been studying with us recently. We've spent our last three studies on corporate holiness, looking at 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, and Paul's teaching on the body of Christ and how the Holy Spirit uses spiritual gifts to bring about growth in grace. Well, when I began that study on chapter 12, I immediately knew I was going to come back to it very soon. Let's read verses 1 through 3. I'm reading out of the NIV. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you, that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And that's the word anathema. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Here's our text today, the second part of verse 3. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not going to spend time on uh, what can be difficult to interpret in in verse 2 and verse 3. Just to mention it, in verse 2, when he's speaking of uh, their mute idols, he's referring back to the spirits that had characteristically led the Gentiles in that church and the fact that they were uncertain and capricious and irrational. But the leadings of the Holy Spirit are different. And then in verse 3, it's probably a biographical note when he says that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. You see, the unconverted Saul had probably made that pronouncement on the basis of his understanding of the law. The law had said in Deuteronomy 21-23 that anyone hanged on a tree is accursed. But he now knows that such a word is never prompted by the Spirit, whose primary task is to glorify Jesus. But let's unpack this powerful declaration by Paul. Historians and scholars all agree that the central creedal confession of the early church was Jesus is Lord. And it's not only found here. You'll remember Romans 10.9, where Paul says, if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he is raised from the dead, you will be saved. And you remember Philippians chapter 2, that great hymn, which ends with, The expectation that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen to Dr. Millard Reed, whose sermon actually uh, 
was the catalyst for our study today. He's a wonderful, he was a wonderful Nazarene educator and leader. And he says this, One who speaks under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit will declare that Jesus is Lord. Other aspects of the Spirit's work may vary from case to case, but this is constant, and it is not a mystical tongue. Remember the context of this uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. It is not a mystical tongue, but a clear, intelligent confession. It is a genuine reflection of the condition of the heart, as well as an expression of the lips. It is clearly possible to utter the words, but only divine enablement is necessary to surrender one's life to the unchallenged sovereignty of God. Now, this topic is not new. It's not new in terms of the Bible, even the Old Testament. The lordship or sovereignty of God is a consistent biblical theme intertwined with holy living. Throughout the Old Testament, the lordship sovereignty question is primary. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. The conflicting sovereignty claims of Yahweh for Israel and the deities of other nations provide much of the backdrop of the Old Testament narratives. Now we're reading about what Paul says to the Christians in Corinth. For the first century Christians living under Roman rule, this profession that Jesus is Lord brought about a great clash. Let me talk about the word Lord for just a moment. The Greek word is kurios, and it was employed to describe the Roman emperor who was considered supreme. The one demand the Romans made upon the people they conquered was that they must acknowledge Caesar as kurios, as lord, supreme, or without rival. Of course, it was at this point that the Christians would acknowledge no one but God as supreme. And so the clash between the Christians and the Romans was significant and severe. Of course, the Jewish Christians understood very well the meaning of kurios. In fact, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the word Jehovah, the word that could not be spoken, by the Jews was translated kurios. So God was Lord. Well, that's the first century. What about today? Well, frankly, nothing has changed. God still requires our fidelity to him supremely and only. And this insight is readily understandable uh, to the contemporary mind. Newspapers, newscasts, podcasts are filled with reports of current political sovereignty battles. I mean, people everywhere are jockeying for power 
and positions in school, in the office, at home. It seems unavoidable, certainly in the institutions across our land. You see, lordship is a marketplace issue. Sovereignty terminology, and this text in particular, may help us deliver the message that's really needed for Christians. To be holy is to be set apart for God. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. One of the memorable, most memorable experiences of my life came in London, England in July of 1990. I was attending an international gathering of the Salvation Army. And Major Yin Hung Shun from China was presented with the Salvation Army's highest honor in Royal Albert Hall. Thousands of Salvation Army members from around the world, nearly a hundred countries, watched him receive the order of the founder. The major, you see, was the hero of a book by General Arnold Brown, Yin, The Mountain the Wind Blew Here, telling the story of how he had been a faithful witness to Christ in his native China after there was a communist takeover, missionary officers were expelled, the army was proscribed, and for decades, Yin was separated from his family, from other Christians. There was no Salvation Army active. He was sentenced to work camps in bitter conditions. But each night, he would sing quietly but wholeheartedly a chorus, which had meant so much to him during the decades he had been imprisoned for his faith. He was 86 years old, and my heart was in my throat, and I was tingling all over as I listened to him sing these words. All my days and all my hours, all my will and all my powers, all the passion of my soul, not a fragment, but the whole, shall be thine, dear Lord. Did you hear that? Shall be thine, dear Lord. Now, in contrast to that call to the Lordship of Christ, you may remember in our recent studies that the overwhelming concern for Paul about the Corinthian church was their carnal or fleshly misbehavior. In fact, it's a very prominent theme in the book. He confronted them immediately in chapter 1, and then in chapter 3, you'll remember, He chastised them about their immaturity. He wished he could speak to them as growing and spiritual Christians, but he had to speak to them as fleshly or carnal Christians. Why? Because of the factions that were dividing the church. You see, the age-long enemy of serving the Lord and of lordship of Christ is to seek our own selfish ways. One recent speaker at a holiness retreat simply said, 
Everything that is holy is self-giving. Everything that is unholy is self-interest. Of course, the biblical uh, root of sin and disobedience is self and seeking to be in charge of our own lives. Dr. Reed has found this phrase, the delusion of self-sovereignty, to be a definition of carnality, of carnal-mindedness. That is, it's theologically sound and it's understandable to average and ordinary Christians like you and me sitting in the pews. Oswald Chambers poignantly describes this delusion as my claim to my right to myself. Hmm, Doesn't that sound familiar in the culture in which we live? No wonder making Jesus our Lord, our Sovereign, pledging full allegiance to Him is such a barrier for believers. I heard about a schoolboy who was once asked to define parts of speech, I and mine. He answered, those are aggressive pronouns. Now, that's not not quite right grammatically. I think he was looking for possessive, but aggressive indeed. Our culture sees I and mine and me as the privilege of every person's independence. We are taught to be aggressively self-centered. We are taught to take care of ourselves. The delusion of self-sovereignty, which is the carnal nature, is the enemy of making Jesus Lord and of living a holy life set apart for him. I'd like for you to listen to Dr. Reed again for a moment speaking about Christians and this delusion. He says, In the course of time, the light of the gospel may inform me that there is forgiveness for the sinful deeds committed against God and others. I may seek for and find forgiveness. Then and only then do I become aware that the deeper problem of which I am a victim is a deluded miscomprehension of reality. I retain the delusion of my own sovereignty and will never be at peace with myself, others, or God until that delusion is shattered. Now, you see, he's talking about a fleshly Christian who is penned in by that delusion. Then he goes on to say, once this understanding of the carnal nature is viewed as valid, this phrase from Paul concerning the work of the Holy Spirit as the exclusive agent for the shattering of the delusion and the establishment of the sovereign reign of Jesus Christ in the human heart becomes powerful. You see, in our passage, our textual passage, Holiness is forever taken from the list of those accomplishments that can be achieved by human effort. The delusion, which distorts every relationship, 
is shattered only by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. But praise God, that work is available by the work of the Holy Spirit. So here is the call, here is the choice for the believer. Either all my days and all my hours shall be thine, dear Lord, versus my claim to my right to myself. The ongoing daily job description of the Christian is to make Jesus Lord of my life. Now, there are two truths that I want to emphasize as we come to the closing of our study. The first truth is that no one is able to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ in his or her own strength. It won't happen. We're all subject to a subtle deception that has caused us to believe that we are the Lord of our own lives. It's built in to our humanity. And since our delusion is part of the problem, we don't have the capacity to resolve it. We cannot declare Jesus Christ Lord in our own strength. Now, I would suggest to you that I have seen in many, many struggling Christians a tremendous frustration. For while we can recognize the inadequacy of our lordship claims, we don't have the power to change ourselves. It's a dilemma. Many, many Christians, I believe, live in this dilemma. Interestingly, this dilemma is epitomized by the Apostle Peter. When he received a vision from the Lord in Caesarea, he was getting ready to meet Cornelius. You remember the vision. I'm going to read just a few verses, uh, beginning with Acts 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. King James Version says, Not so, Lord. Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, there was a specific meaning about that vision that Peter came to understand in preparation for God coming in power to the Gentiles as evidence that there are no unclean, unloved 
creatures of God or people of God that God has made. But the interesting phrase is the one when Peter immediately responded, not so, Lord. General Bramwell Tilsley, one of the Salvation Army's great holiness teachers, says you cannot say <clears throat> those two things together. They're an oxymoron. You can either say not so, or you can say Lord. So no one is able to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ on his or her own strength. Here's truth number two. By the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to truly declare Jesus is Lord. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in His ministry, walks us through the various aspects of our lives and asks us, may Jesus Christ be Lord here? How about here? As we consent to his work, as we yield to that invitation, he establishes the sovereignty of Christ in each area. You see, this is still about growing in grace as we studied in the last uh, podcast. And finally, the time comes when every area has been explored and Christ is Lord of all. I want you to listen to General Tilsley once again. He wrote this in his wonderful little book, Life in the Spirit, but I heard him teach it at least 10 times. <laughs> and it is unforgettable. And I hope it will be helpful for you today. He says, having defined what it means to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we again remind ourselves that this is a mark of the Spirit-filled life. And he quotes our text. For no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.3 and then he taught us that Jesus occupies one of three places in the life of every believer. He is present in all believers because he's present the moment we're born again of the Spirit, as we've studied in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. He can become prominent in our life when our initial faith begins to express itself through works and service and worship. However, he only becomes preeminent when we recognize him as Lord, supreme, without a rival. This experience is the outcome of the Spirit-filled life. He's describing a couple of steps in a journey. Actually, it becomes many steps as the Holy Spirit works in our lives on an ongoing basis. 
There's a song that I love written by Theodore Menad that describes this journey. If you happen to be in the Salvation Army, it's song number 514 in our songbook. But I want to read the words and let you digest how it encapsulates the lesson that we have been studying today and the journey that General Tilsley just described. Verse 1. Oh, the bitter shame and sorrow that a time could ever be when I let the Savior's pity plead in vain and proudly answered, all of self and none of thee. Verse 2. Yet he found me, I beheld him bleeding on the accursed tree, heard him pray, forgive them, Father, and my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Verse 3. Day by day, his tender mercy, healing, helping, full and free, sweet and strong and ah, so patient, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self and more of thee. Verse 4. Higher than the highest heaven, Deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, thy love at last has conquered. Grant me now my spirit's longing, none of self and all of thee. Making Jesus Lord affects our entire life. We could ask and look in Scripture to help answer many questions as we come to the end of this study. Is he Lord of your home? Is he Lord of your religious experience? Is he Lord of your worldly belongings? Is he Lord over your body? Is he Lord over your interpersonal relations? And the list could go on and on. We could ask it through the prism of General Tilsley's teaching. If you're a believer, he is present. But is he prominent? Can the Spirit, can the Lordship of Christ be seen in how you live each day? And is he preeminent, supreme in your life, without rival? I invite you to answer those questions in your own life. Is Jesus Christ Lord in your heart? If he is, it is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit Praise the Lord. If he is not, the Holy Spirit can make it so. God bless you. I'll look forward to seeing you next time on the Holiness Podcast. 
And may you and I seek to make Jesus Lord over all in our lives. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.